What's up, everybody, and welcome back to your favorite swim bait podcast, Scales and Tails. Today we have our our second in person guest. I'm very excited for. Um, his name's Ethan McQuay. Uh, originally a native from Michigan, but he kind of went down to uh, to Texas for a couple years, and then he's back up here. Fortunate enough to he 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 moved back here to talk on the podcast. I heard allegedly, <laughs> but uh, I'll let Ethan kind of introduce himself, um, and then I'll explain how we met each other, and then I'll hand the reins off to Ethan again, and we'll, uh, we'll get the ball rolling here tonight. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to be here. My name is Ethan McQuay. Uh, I'm sure you may or may not have seen me in the universe. <laughs> on there. I have been fishing, bass fishing for over 20 years and swim bait fishing for about five years. Yeah. <clears throat> um, so 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 Ethan, um, when he lived up here, he lived in the greater Grand Rapids area. And like I like we like I said, he moved down to Texas, which he'll touch on. And then he ended up he ended up moving back up around here. And uh this was around the time, this was probably like January or February-ish, probably when I when I hit you up. So it was it was around that time, <laughs> middle of winter here. And uh I was scrolling through my Facebook feed and a meme or something that Ethan shared popped up and for some odd reason, I like swiped over on his profile and I was like, holy shit, like he lives in the town I live in. And I was like, well, maybe, maybe he just never updated it. It's like, you know, people, people move and they never update that shit. Cause I don't do that. But anyway, I'm like, oh, that's weird. So I, I shot him a text. I was like, Hey man, like, uh, do you, do you live in like the greater Grand Rapids area or anything? He's like, yeah, I do. And I was like, oh, cool. I was like, I, I live, I live by this lake. And he's like, oh yeah, I do too. He's like, it's, it's right around the way or whatever. And I'm like, cool. And then I put two and two together and I'm like, oh shit, like Ethan lives at the apartment complex I live at and I work at. I'm the maintenance guy here. <laughs> and I'm like, shit. And so I'm like, how do I go about like telling him, like, oh yeah, dude, like I live in the building right next to you. <laughs> and so uh so I, I waited for like a week or two and I finally texted him. I was like, hey man, like, do you live in XYZ apartments? He's like, Yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm like, yeah, I do too. Uh, this is the building I live in. And he's like, oh, no way. I was like, okay, that didn't sound as creepish as I thought it was going to. But uh, yeah, within the week, we talked for quite a bit. And then he ended up hitting me up. He's like, hey, you want to buy buy this rod for me? And I'm like, uh, sure, why not? So I ended up buying this rod. And then we've been pretty good friends since then. We fished a handful of times and uh, usually talk a couple times a week, too, in the parking lot when we see each other. But um, I'll kind of let Ethan lay out his uh, his story on him moving down to Texas. And uh, we'll, we'll touch on a bunch of other stuff throughout the episode, too. Yeah, right. I, I moved to Texas in 2015. Uh, it's kind of a change of scenery. Get out of Michigan for a while. Uh, I never fished swim baits before I moved to Texas. You know, maybe a, a Kitek or small paddle tail here and there. But, you know, a lot of these a lot of these baits, I had no idea what they were. And got down to Texas uh, after an adjustment period. Uh, started going out and doing some fishing just on, you know, basic conventional stuff, having some having some success. And uh, eventually I was like, man, I need a swim bait set up. Didn't know a whole lot about it. I had like a 200 Calcutta and a St. Croix rod. And my first swim bait purchase was an S waiver. I was like, man, 25 bucks. That's this is. Was it the 200 or the 168? The 168. Okay. And I went out and thrown it with little to no success. And at the time, it was kind of just another uh, tool in the arsenal of the whole conventional lineup. 
And so for another probably year, I probably dropped it and started making more friends down there, getting out with more guys and did one river trip with a guy on the lower Colorado. And he was throwing a six inch bull shad and just crushing them. And I was throwing everything I had in my kayak with me, conventional wise, catching a few here and there, but he was destroying them. I was like, man, I got to get one of those. So got online after we got off the river, looked up the bull shad, saw the $50, 55 price. <laughs> I was like, oh my gosh. Well, I cannot afford to do that. <laughs> yeah. At the time, times were a little tougher. Than yeah. So. so I bought a bull shad and started fishing it, having a lot of success with it. And that's kind of where I started building different baits from there. I think my next bait was a, a donut shad, little glide. Started having success with that. And kind of a small collection of small baits I'd rotate through. And it really took off. Uh, my boss at the time had introduced me to a buddy of mine now. His name's Daniel. And he's got one of the biggest swim bait collections that I've ever seen. His whole garage wall is pegboard with, you know, any bait you can imagine. And we started hanging out and uh, I was pretty fortunate. He'd allow me to try whatever I wanted on that wall. Just that, you know, if I lose it, I got to repay, <laughs> replace it or repay it. And I'm like, oh man, there's some of those. <laughs> That's way out of budget, but started started testing out and trying different stuff, which also very fortunate. You know, I got to try a lot of swim baits before, you know, deciding to make that big purchase. And so I went from, I think the donut at the time was like 80 bucks. Yeah. So kind of jumped there. I went, I got a 316 workhorse, 275 bucks. I'm like, well, I'm in now. Did, uh, did you still have the Calcutta in the St. Croix with the workhorse? No, by that time I'd upgraded. I got a, a Dobbins Fury, and at the time I had a like a 300 Quantum Exo, which and within a year I blew up. <laughs> Jeez. Um. So so you get <laughs> you get the workhorse, and uh, do you start catching fish on that right away, or was there kind of an adjustment period? You're like, oh, this is a little bit different than than the donut chat I had. Oh, there's definitely adjustment period. When I I mean I'm like, oh my god, I just worked out. <laughs> This much for this bait. I mean, my my first few casts with it were, you know, ten to fifteen feet. <laughs> like if this breaks off, like at least you know get to it in time. And it was like that for a little bit. I was just you know just afraid to lose baits. And then like a a video I watched or something, it was like you know consider it gone. And then uh, some buddy I was fishing with is like you know you want to catch these fish, you gotta you gotta toss that bait into the cover. You know, next to it, don't be afraid. And I just started launching my stuff. I mean, you see me launch my hyper. I was just about saying, and then this man throws his hyper shed into a tree a couple of days ago. <laughs> no fucks given. <laughs> um. So how long until when you switched up to the little bit bigger baits, like the workhorse and stuff, how long did it take for you to kind of get comfortable with it or at least start catching fish with it? There's definitely a learning curve because, like I said, I started with the bull shad, just uh, swimming bait. I had a couple other 316 I think sports sheds and uh, I've always liked to fish fast. I and mean, when I grew up fishing conventional as, you know, ripping a spinner bait, a jerk bait, you know, 
crankbait, stuff that go fast. So I like those swimmers a lot. So then when I started getting into glides, it was definitely a learning curve, you know, different different ways to fish them, different speeds, you know. Yeah, so when uh, – so you're down there fishing Texas and stuff, and when you would come back here, like, on vacation or when you could, did you go right away to fishing the swim baits up here, or was that still kind of, like, virgin waters? You're like, oh, like, I'll, I'll leave these – I'll leave this stuff in Texas. Like, there's not any fish that are going to eat it up here. I mean, for my first couple trips up here, I mean, I did leave my swims in Texas. Um, just the the job I had at the time – I could only make about two trips to Michigan in a year on one in the spring. And I'd always go up north and chase big smallmouth. And I knew the conventional stuff I could catch them on. And that's kind of what I went back to old reliable. And then my fall trip was always deer season, being in a deer stand the whole week. Yeah. So so you're down there in Texas and you're kind of figuring these fish out a little bit um you're fishing is it more rivers lake or yeah rivers or lakes and then uh was there a point in time where you kind of kind of i guess just stuck with the glide rather than the swimmer were you always kind of transitioning between the two crank downs and that sort of thing too throughout the year down there uh, texas is, is pretty unique i've fished lakes rivers ponds i mean you name it i mean with the the climate down there i mean any even a, a small pond, any little body of water will hold a bass. Most of them do have bass, whereas, you know, up here, if it's not deep enough, once winter comes and, and ice, those, those, if it's a small pond, those fish will die off. Um, fished a unique body of water, uh, uh, Lake Austin, Ladybird Lake, uh, Lake Travis. They're all part of the Colorado River system. And definitely, Different than what I was used to up here in Michigan. Um, they would, uh, you know, they call it a lake, but, you know, it didn't remind me of the Grand River in yeah. width, maybe a little wider, but uh, certain times they would uh, open the dam and release water, you know, start, start releasing current, water would pick up, those fish would you know, put on the feed bag and you start, you know, start watching, you start seeing shad busting, your, you know, your boat or kayak, you start, you start see, you start seeing the current, you start seeing the activity, not adjust what baits I was using, uh, according to what I was seeing, you know, during the, during the shad spawn, uh, I'm throwing big glides, swimmers, you know, working them as fast as I can, because a lot of those bass are are busting them on the surface and you know different times of year when the when the bluegill are bedding fishing gill style baits oh along that river system um along with those lakes uh below ladybird lake or town lake was the lower colorado river and i guess that's where i really honed in my swim bait skills because um every day at a certain time, they would open the dam and release water, and it would have a certain amount of time to reach miles down river to where you were fishing, and it would go from a few hundred CFS to you know up over two thousand within a matter of hours. And if you're in a kayak, you know it's either get off the river or, or you know have a get out plan. Yeah, get down river 
And that was really unique because a lot of the rivers here in Michigan, you know, are, you know, remain the same year, year long, unless there's some kind of a major flood. Yeah. For anybody who isn't familiar with like Michigan, like lakes and rivers, which probably like 90% of you guys, um, our rivers are, our, our lakes are like more or less like featureless bowls. Like the middle is usually the deepest. And then like, it just kind of slowly falls off into it. There, there is basins and flats and stuff, but <clears throat> I'd say probably like, 70% of our lakes are all the same. Like these fish relate to, to docks mostly. Um, you can catch them deep, like over weed pads and stuff or uh, over weed beds. But like I said, that's usually the deeper water. And then um, like Ethan touched on, our rivers are more or less all the same. We don't really have dams or anything to fluctuate the water because quite honestly, a lot of the rivers, especially down here, like in our area, um, the, the water's shallow as it is. So if you added a bunch of water, took out a bunch of water, there wouldn't be a river there anymore. So <laughs> there is times like in the spring um, where it'll flood and it'll get pretty gnarly. Like you can't even get down to the boat ramps. Like the one spot um, we fish, the, uh, the snow melt off and everything in the spring, it gets so wicked that you have to walk about a mile to fish a spot we fished the other day. And uh, it's pretty epic to see that water go down back to back to normal pool. And then just recently, like within the last couple of weeks, that water's dropped so far. Um, there's a spot I'd fish and it was probably four or five foot deep. And we went there the other day and I walked across the river in my muck boots. Like uh, the water's super low here. And uh, it, it takes, it those fish take a beating when the water's like that because they get pushed out to the main rivers or they, uh, they just kind of hunker down and get picked off. And uh, it, it's a very weird time right now with no rain, kind of in a drought spell. And uh, the fish have definitely felt the effects of that for now. Hopefully we get some rain soon, like a lot of rain, like, two feet with a rain a week yeah, or two we, that was unique about the uh those the river there in texas the lower colorado just specifically um when that when that cfs would start to uh increase cfs is cubic feet per second amount of water coming down the river uh the fishing would pick up those bass would position themselves where they could ambush cover you know log jams rock piles and you know as the as the day went on the river got higher and faster and the fishing got better and better i mean it was pretty it's pretty crazy and you know for the bass i mean they're it's an ambush predator so really they just you know get behind uh get behind an eddy and the the river will bring the bait to them they don't really have to do a lot of work yeah and so uh i guess kind of fishing the rivers and stuff like you're talking down there that's pretty relative to how how the fishing creeks, how the fishing and creeks in the rivers are up here. I mean, you see the water line breaks, um, you see log jams and eddies and stuff, and more than likely there's usually a fish in there, especially with these smallmouth. Um, if there's a if there's a 12 inch by 10 inch rock they can hide behind, they're gonna do it because if you've never caught a river or creek smallmouth, like they're little torpedoes, like they're 110% muscle from fighting that current. So if they can kid a break, they're definitely gonna do it relative to um, largemouth, I'm not sure because I've never gotten the uh, the chance to like fish river largemouth or anything, but I'm sure it's it's the same with everything. If they can like rest a little bit and wait for food to come to them, they're going to do that 100% of the time. Yeah, that was, that was a crazy thing too. You know, growing up here in Michigan, fishing rivers were predominantly smallmouth fishing. And once in a while, you might catch a, a stray largemouth. And that changed going to Texas. Um, fishing similar rivers but now i'm catching big largemouth instead of smallmouth 
there are some some spots in Texas that will hold smallmouth. I think we'll touch on that. Yeah. Uh, but that was definitely a change. I mean, some of these some of these rivers I'd fish out in uh, specifically like the hill country area. I mean, just just wild. I mean, it it seemed like you're fishing a creek, and then it would turn into a river back to a creek. You you know, you'd ride over some rapids, it turned dam back to a river back to a creek and crystal clear water and would hold enormous bass they wouldn't think there'd be a, a large mouth that big and a water body that small yeah um while, while we're on the topic of the rivers and stuff did you notice that a lot of fish would follow your baits in were those fish did they seem to be more aggressive than they are up here I'll, i kind of have a little story to touch on after this question about actually one of the first few times we went out and kind of the results we had fishing swim baits. And I just wanted to see if, if Texas is relative to it is up here, if it's a little bit easier to catch those fish. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say easier. I mean, there's, you know, you have your days where you can, it's lights out you can go out and just, you know, put on a show and hammer them. And then you have your other days where it's a grind and you can throw everything you got with you at them and, I mean, they, they might give you a few follows to the boat, and that's about all the excitement you'll get. Um, as far as as far as the aggressiveness, um, I kind of feel these northern fish are more aggressive uh, because they have a less time throughout the year to feed. You know, we have you know ice out in March, sometimes April, and then you know by November we're already back to winter pretty much whereas uh those fish down in texas i mean they, they have year round so you know if they if they want to eat they'll eat if they don't want to eat there's not a lot <laughs> you can do yeah kind of touching on this because this is a thing that i agree with a lot it's kind of like uh like anybody who like works out like heavily there's like bulking season and bulking season and like cutting season so like these northern strains the they have like you touched on like four or five months to like bulk up because in the winter time there there's going to be a lot less opportunities and they're not going to want to move as much so they uh they they do seem to to be more aggressive as far as like if they're following your bait there's there's going to be a chance they're going to eat it because they're not going to burn those calories for nothing they have to make up for that deficiency that they're going to have in the next two months when uh when that first snowflake flies um kind of touching on the story we this is probably like one of the first or second times we'd ever fished together we went to a dam a river dam uh down the road and uh we fished it and ethan was fishing the hyper shad and i was fishing the tiny clash and in a matter of like an hour we had probably like 12 or 13 smallmouth follow follow our baits in and like we could not like you could not buy a bite to save save our lives and i mean we tried everything i tried a deep diving bill i tried a minnow bill a normal bill ethan was ripping it he was slow gliding it he was letting it sink like we were doing everything we could in that day uh it'd have been awesome if they were eating because we'd have caught a shit ton of fish probably some good decent sized fish but uh that was just one day i mean it was like it was still cold out like it was probably definitely like 40s still at least okay. and uh it was if it's like those days like guys will go out like on the mississippi and like minnesota and wisconsin and uh They'll fish the 168 in like December and they'll catch a lot of smallmouth. And I think it has the uh the chance of being like that, but there's also the chance like we ran into like where they're not entirely tuned in on eating yet, but they'll still they'll still make 
they'll still make an advance on a bait if if it's worth their time. And unfortunately, that day I just don't think it was worth their time. Yeah, yeah, that was a that was a tough day. I mean, I had a lot of similar experiences in Texas. Uh, you know, before breaking my PBs on swim baits, I'd have you know potential breaking PBs just follow follow my bait. You know, nose on the tail right back to the boat. You know, just sitting there to eat it, eat it. Come on. And there's days that, you know, they just want, they're just curious. They just, they'll, they'll come, they'll come look at it and then they'll swim right back to where they were. Um, they're up here, these, these Northern fish, I mean, if they let a cold front shut them down, they're going to go hungry. And, uh, and kind of on that, you now a different experience with Michigan and Texas, uh, cold fronts you know you have cold front up here i mean it'll, the fishing will slow down but you can still catch them you can find a way to catch them texas florida strain bass i mean you have a cold front roll in so we'll go lock jaw i mean you can you can't even force feed them uh but on the opposite of that i mean you can have some incredibly shitty days where you can camp it's it's crazy uh middle of winter sure You've seen the videos out there at OHIV of yeah. the giant bass being caught. I mean, that's that's still that's that's cold for Texas right. this time of year. Yeah. Um, so it's definitely definitely different um, as far as that goes. Since we're kind of touching on like the cold, cold times in uh, both regions, have you been able to tell a difference between like the hot times here relative to Texas? I know. You fished last week for one of the online tournaments, and um, I guess like we talked about, uh, these fish they only have a couple months of warm weather, and like this year, like the water's hot, hot. Um, last I knew, the one of the good lakes around here with big fish, it was like over eighty degrees, and that's freaking hot. And um, have you been able to tell the difference from behavior as far as like super warm water goes? Where I'm sure Texas gets a lot hotter than here, but like. 80 degrees for anybody who doesn't know, that's like boiling water here, especially in like some of these lakes that aren't super deep. Like that water's hot, hot. Oh yeah, I mean, definitely. I mean, I'd say those those fish down there are more used to the heat than the fish up here. I mean, there's every, you know, midsummer Texas, 110, 115 degrees. Uh, but, you know, you just adjust, adjust your fishing style and your technique, to, you know, swap over to night fishing, you know, in the, in the cooler, the cooler weather, you know, fishing in the early morning or the evening, fishing, you know, shade lines next to deep water. <clears throat> uh, up here, water gets hot. Those fish kind of just, you know, they simmer down a lot. They're not, you know, it, they'll short strike a lot. Actually, yeah. That, that all yeah. Right. Is, uh, two fish that would have placed me from short strikes. Um, but just like you said, with, uh, lack of rain this summer so far and the, the heat, it's been a, definitely a different summer up here compared to years past. Yeah. I would say like optimal fishing here is like right around that, like 65 spawning and up to around like 72. Like that's like when you can drop the hammer on, even when it's like cold or like 49, 50 degree, like that's like pre-spawn here. And you can absolutely go out there and put on a clinic with like a glide bait. Like if you fish a glide bait, kind of like a jerk bait, let it sink down a couple feet and you rip it back like one, two, three, let it kind of blow out, sit there for a second, one, two, three, like that you can, you can catch a lot of fish doing that. And then like 
when it gets hotter, obviously you slow it down a little bit relative to you. It's often said like you kind of, you kind of speed it up or yeah, you go from like fishing a jerk bait really slow to kind of going a little bit faster as the water goes. And it's, it's, I almost feel like it's the opposite here in Michigan. Like you can slow roll a glide in the summertime and you can catch fish. I mean, you can do, you can fish it fast too, but, um, like Ethan touched on, they short strike it a lot. I had a, I've had a couple fish in the last like two or three weeks, short strike the shit out of baits and like they'll hit it and like they'll jump and they'll have like one prong in their mouth or they don't have any hooks in their mouth and they just, they just beat the piss out of it and hit it sideways and they just swim off with it. Um, yeah, especially like, especially the lakes you can see them on up here. Like it, it does nothing but piss you off when you see those fish, like come up and T-bone a bait, like from the top half and just completely miss the hooks. And then they'll like go underneath it and look at it. Their peck fins will be like going crazy. Like they're going to eat it. And then they just nose down in some way. It's, it's very disappointing. <laughs> oh yeah. And it was like in Texas too. I mean, what that midsummer, the bike does slow down quite a bit. Um, you know, you go from, you know, throwing a, throwing a glide, something like that, to dragging a, dragging a battle shad or a, a citizen. Um, it does slow down some, the fishing, in Texas, definitely, you know, I'd say in winter time into into pre spawn is definitely the best. They're definitely they have the feedback on. They're more active. They they get a little sluggish in the summer, but you can still, you know, you can still catch them. You just got to slow down quite a bit. Um, one thing I kind of want to touch on is uh is the southern strain built versus the northern strain. You see a lot of fish like caught in Texas, Florida, Alabama, Georgia. They'll be like 27 inches long and like four and a half pounds where relative to here, like you see like a 19 inch fish and it'll be pushing four pounds. Um, I don't know if that's just like a strange coincidence or if you've noticed that those southern strain fish, they get long and fat and here they're just short and stubby. Like, like I said, you'll catch an 18 inch fish and it'll be three and a half, four pounds um relative to down there you just don't see that very often at least what i see on facebook i mean i'm not down there catching fish so i can't say for sure yeah i mean there's definitely the genetics play into that i mean your 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 bass in the southern part of the u.s are, are florida strain largemouth and uh, they have the genetics to grow to you know 20 pounds and you know possibly bigger if they live long enough whereas up here you know like like you touched on, I mean, they may be 18, 19 inches, but they got a gut on them, and it's almost a four or five fish. It's definitely definitely genetics in the in the northern and southern strain as far as that. And as far as like like we said, the eating periods obviously you have shorter time to eat. You're you're gonna stock up like we just touched on. Um, uh, shit, I guess uh, kind of talking about kind of closing it down on the rivers for now like as far as lakes go like i like i said our lakes here are deep pits um if if you go out on the lake uh you're fishing docks a lot of the time um there's a few lakes around here that have sunken islands which all that is is just uh like a 10 15 20 foot drop off and then here comes up a point of what would have been an island at some point in time up to about six feet and you can catch a lot of fish um, on these islands, I've never gotten to experience it, but I know a lot of my friends have and stuff. Um, is there anything like that in those Lake Austins and uh, all all those lakes down there? Is it kind of kind of river or uh, yeah, like river channels and stuff that run through these lakes, and that's where these fish kind of hang out and come up to eat at? 
I mean, it just it really depends on the lakes. I mean, most a lot of all lakes are different uh, with as far as your structure and your cover goes. Um, like uh, Lake Travis, for instance, uh, big big impoundment. Um, that one learned how to fish brush piles. Uh, and what was unique about that is that lake is almost gin clear. I mean, there's there's spots you can see 20, 25 foot down. Whereas, you know, further down river, water's a little bit murkier. So, so like we said, um, talking about uh, fishing docks and everything here, a lot of the lakes um, have, uh, there's a lot of pleasure boaters in a lot of these lakes. It's mostly down here, like a vast majority of people have speed boats, wake boats, that sort of thing, jet skis. So here these fish kind of relate to those docks because their shit's not getting tore up with these props and everything. And so it's it's not common to to dump your boat in and not go more than twenty yards offshore just because you're fishing this cover up here. Um, down there, is it a lot more of the same thing? Or are you fishing like uh, lily pads or floating grass mats and that sort of stuff down there? I mean, yeah. I mean, it like I said, it depends on the the body of water you're on. I mean, a lot of a lot of different bodies of water. Uh, you know, to fish in Texas. Um, uh, whereas up here, uh, I didn't do a whole lot of dock fishing. Uh, you know, I, most of my fishing related to, to weed beds or to drop offs or points, you know, like you touched on most of the lakes around here are, are just deep bowls and you go 20 yards offshore. I mean, you, you hit the drop off, uh, I actually got a unique uh, story on a couple lakes in Austin as far as structure and cover. Uh, I had moved down there at a, at a time when Lake Austin and Ladybird Lake were full of hydrilla and incredible fisheries. You know, you could go out almost anywhere on the lake and, and catch a fish. I mean, even, you know, beating the bank going out in a kayak, a boat. I mean, there's, there's fish everywhere. I remember, uh, I made a stop to Academy sports just a few months of being down there. And one of the kids that worked there showed me a, a 13 pound bass that he caught on the Cinco. This fish in the hydrilla in Lake Austin. This is going to be fun. Well, uh, I say it was unique, uh, for the first year I was down there. Fishing, fishing a lot of grass, all that hydrilla. The residents on Lake Austin will just say they have a lot of influence <laughs> and money. Uh, did not like the hydrilla. They uh, they actually hated it because you know it it messed with their weight boats. It was you know their their yachts, whatever they have. They they opposed it tremendously. So they kind of. You know, superseded Texas Parks and Wildlife and went directly to the city of Austin and uh, got the city to dump in a bunch of, which at the time they claimed were sterile. We eat some grass and then die off. <laughs> uh, unfortunately, that was not the case. Uh, the grass cart completely decimated all the vegetation in Lake Austin. It went from, you know, it used to be a, a top 10 fishery in the country to a barren wasteland within 
a very short period of time, I'll say. Um, and unfortunately, in spring flooding, uh, a lot of those grass cart got, you know, washed through the dam and made it into Ladybird Lake, and they did the same thing. They decimated all the vegetation. So the fisheries changed drastically. You know, when I first moved down there, I just, in my research, um, looking at, you know, little three-hour night tournaments on the lakes, and, you know, you'd see just mega bags, 25, 30 pounds every week, and just a, just a three-hour tournament, you know, multiple double digits. And in the course of those those carp getting in and and destroying the grass. I mean, it just I mean it just dropped off so drastically that you know the fishing became tough. I mean they the fish were hard to find. The uh, uh, you could even see it in the those those tournament numbers. I mean the weights went you know from a 25 30 pound sack to 10 12 pounds. And go ahead. No, you're good. That. Uh... So that was when you first moved down there. Did you did you get to witness an upswing um, since then? Did they go through and did uh, did they have people go through and kill all these carp, or was when there was no grass did they kind of start dying off the next couple seasons? Well, you know, as far as those as far as those two lakes, I mean, you could you could still go out and you could you could find fish, but you'd really have to grind, you know, for them. Especially you know me, you know, fairly new to the area. I mean, I had to. I did do a lot of looking, you know, some of the guys that, you know, lived there for a while, they still, they still knew where to find some fish. Um, but for, you know, a good two, three year period, I mean, the, I mean, those lakes were just terrible. I mean, it, it was, it was sad. And unfortunately the city had uh, outlawed, you know, bow fishing for there's, there's carp or fishing for them to get them out of there. And yeah, it was it was tough to see, and uh, eventually it started it, it started making a turnaround. You know, the little bit a little bit of vegetation here, but still not. But you were starting to see the bigger fish caught, see more big fish caught, uh, and unfortunately, it was you know when I moved back up here <laughs> is when it was really starting to take off and 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 improve. You, uh, did you end up catching your PB or swim bait PB during that first two years? And then, uh, what was I going to say? Do you remember like your biggest fish throughout those two years? Like, did you catch like a five or six pounder and you're like, holy shit, like I've hit the holy grail because, because the fishery went downhill in such a quick amount of time? You know, from, I'd say from my Michigan PB, it was fairly quick within that one or two years that I broke it a couple. Um, but for that, you know, for that time that the the fishing had slowed down so much, I mean, I, I started just you know exploring other bodies of water. You know, there'd be times I'd drive two to three hours, you know, out of Austin to to, to fish some new water, and you know, had some really cool experiences. You know built up my confidence with swim baits and I had got to a point where I was like, you know, I, I have so much confidence in these swim baits and I'm no longer throwing my conventional. I decided to sell all of my conventional and fish 
only swim baits. And that was, that was probably about end of 2017, 2018, beginning of 2018, somewhere in there. Yeah. Are you shooting yourself in the foot for doing that now, having to build back uh, your conventional uh, inventory since you moved back up here? Oh, I mean, a little bit. I mean, I will, I'll, I still fish conventional, but 100% of the time I will start with the and I'll throw it till I'm, you know, blue in the face. Um, but, it, you know, there's, as you know, there's some lakeshore lakes up here that border Lake Michigan that, you know, I, I know I can go out and crush, you know, big smallmouth on a drop shot. So, I mean, there might be times you'll see my boat on bait rod right next to a drop shot <laughs> rod on my deck. Yeah, fuck, I had a question. Oh, that uh, kind of touching on bank fishing because that, that's like what we try to do down here just because it is kind of a chore to go get your boat and everything is, is down there more superior to bank fishing because where we are right now like it's a struggle fest to try to find anywhere to uh to shore fish like you can shore fish the river but like like we touched on earlier the water's so low that those fish just aren't there in that spot we fish um and then a lot of the lakes around here either are just flat out shit or flat out shit from the bank usually it's just more flat out shit because just there's like one super good lake around here that gets fished really hard but a, it's really hard to dump a boat in because it's like in the middle of a, a busy city and there's never any parking unless you get there super early. And two, it, uh, it's, it's probably almost 45 minutes to an hour away from us. So you got to kind of plan strategically alongside of traffic not being busy and having having enough room for your boat. Because if you get more than like 15 boats out there, like it gets crowded quick. Yeah, I know what lake uh, you're referring to there. It's definitely, you know, an early riser. Get there early so you get the best parking spot. Uh, Texas, you know, Ladybird Town Lake, I'd say has the best opportunity for, for bank fishing. I mean, you can almost walk the entirety all the way around that lake and and fish the bank, even uh, Barton Springs that, that comes off it. And uh, I believe that's the first time I ran into Grant down oh. there i was fishing up in bart springs it's actually i go into that story i was uh fishing during the spawn and came on a came on a bed there's a a decent sized bass on it and i caught it and it was about three pounds i was like oh you know that's that's decent bass uh threw him back and that ended up being the male oh. the female moved up shortly after and she dwarfed him I just say that bass was three pounds, and she made him look like a like a dink, like a bluegill. <laughs> and uh, she was she was kind of locked, and I threw I threw the kitchen sink at her. You know, every swim bait I had in my box, and and Grant was actually on the bank, and I was in my kayak, and he's like, "Man, you see that fish?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I've been working at her for two hours." <laughs> and he's like, "You tried swims?" And I'm like, "What do you think of this right here?" <laughs> yeah, he's like, "Yeah, I tried her. I tried to, and I couldn't." Well, uh, he continued on, and I kept I kept fishing her, um, and it was starting to get dark, probably into my third hour, uh, and I ended up, you know, tying on a net rig, all oh, baits, and threw that on the bed, and you know, it was, it was 
getting pretty late, so it's it kind of hard to see. I had my sunglasses off, and I just saw my line, you know, <laughs> swimming swimming towards deep water, and the male was still there. He was not like, oh no. <laughs> so set the hook, and the fight ensued. And I would have estimated that fish at at ten pounds plus, uh, the biggest bass I have ever hooked into in Texas. And I fought her to the boat three times with the kayak. And then that, that third time when she made the run, she popped. Damn. Uh, was Grant around then, or he already walked away down the bank and everything? No, he would already. Damn. Um, I guess kind of taking it on a lighter side of things, talk about your, your PB and uh, some of the bigger fish you were able to catch and how you kind of caught them with, with your swim baits and stuff. You know, with that, you know, giving up all of my conventional and going to swim baits only, uh, part of that was, you know, seeing the, the quality of fish go up and throwing the swims. You know, I was I was getting less fish, but they were bigger fish. And it's just one of those decisions where I was okay with that. And for, in the beginning, it was tough because there was a, quite a few times I'd go out and, you know, you skunk, I mean, especially when you're fishing swims only. But, you know, if you learn to accept that, and and move forward and grind it out and learn what you can i mean the it, the rewards definitely pay off in the end and as my confidence in swim baits built um my my fish got bigger and coincidentally i broke my pb twice during one of the pizwiz tournaments uh fishing a the bgc shad glide uh, that was uh I believe that was a month-long tournament at that time, and it's fishing in late September, and I found a found a bite. Is you know September in Texas is still pretty hot, so <laughs> hundred degrees plus. Uh, found an evening bite after work that I was having quite a bit of success on. They were, you know, relating to 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 shade cover with deep water nearby whether that be, you know, a, a tree out over the water, a dock, you know, anything next to the river channel. And that was a few days before I caught a double on that, on that BGC. I had a four pounder and a two and a half. One had the front hook, one had the back hook, you know, and that, that loaded up. I thought I had a, <laughs> I thought I had a 12 pounder. I thought I had a record. <laughs> and so I thought that was pretty cool and just stayed on that, stayed on that pattern and uh, was getting, getting some good fish, but not really any calls where I could upgrade. And I changed it up and went out one morning on the weekend that I was off and I had some success, but nothing to really call. And on my way back to the launch, pedaling back in my kayak, uh, there was this, this one last dot. And it was, you know, one of those, all right, last cast before I get out of here. And there was a little, little spot of shade in the back corner of the dock that was, you know, maybe two by three feet, just little, little spot. And didn't think anything of it, just made a, just made a roll cast back, back in there and two reel turns in and my rod loads up. And 
I mean, I'm I'm reeling and it's just it's you know drags just coming out. <laughs> but I'm not I'm not gaining any ground. And I mean, I you know medium heavy Leviathan is just double low. I'm like, holy cow! And that fish that fish comes up and shakes, and I'm like, that's PB. I mean, the whole time fighting it to the kayak, that's PB. That's PB. And got her in the net, and you know it was. Was like, what do I do? What do I do now? What do I do now? <laughs> That's an eight pounder all day. Uh, like Austin is infamous for wake boats, so when in a fish net in a kayak, it's pretty rough. You get you get beat up pretty bad. So I was getting beat up by waves, and was trying to figure out how do I can you know get somewhere on shore to get this fish measured without her jumping off the board and you know breaking my heart. And uh, put her on the board. She was 24 inches and got me uh, my first Texas share lunker oh. award and bumped me from, I don't know what place I was in that tournament, all the way up to fourth place, somewhere in there. And got a bunch of pictures, released her, she swam off strong. And the next day, the very next day, I was fishing the same pattern on the another stretch, another stretch of the river. And I'd only been on the water for about 10 minutes fishing that, fishing that BGC glide and, you know, made a cast up, up into a shade spot along the deep river channels side of the, uh, side of the lake. And, you know, two cranks in, I get hammered and, and same thing. I mean, not making any ground on this fish. It's another, another big fish. So fight that one. Got the she. She had only got one hook in her. So I got lucky, and got her measured, and she was uh, twenty three and a half, twenty three seven five, somewhere right there. Another, another big fish, and weighed uh, more than the previous fish I caught. <laughs> so I think that one, and that was the crazy thing about that. That was in the last, you know minutes of the tournament that I weighed that one in and you know it was kind of just magical you know everything came everything came together and you know won a bait you know broke my PB I mean can't be that yeah I broke it twice <laughs> um going off the pattern thing like you were just talking about have you been able to kind of um it sounds like down there like when you pattern them you can get them pretty dialed in a week span if if it stays relative to the same, have you been able to figure anything out like that here? Have you uh, even even like conventional fishing in your past experience living up here? Have you been able to tell like those fish will stay uh, on a quote unquote pattern for an X amount of time, or do our fish up here kind of seem like they move around a little bit more? They don't really um, relate to stuff as uh, as frequently as those fish down there do. I mean, it's I mean, it, there's a lot that you know, can go into that. I mean, uh, I have noticed the fish up here will uh, travel greater distance to feed than fish down there. Um, uh, all bass relate to structure cover of some sort. It's just, you know, it varies. Um, you know, up here, I'm, I'm fishing a lot of weed beds. I'm fishing a lot of drop-offs, you know, in a uh, particular lake you are speaking up earlier. There's a spot on that lake where uh, some boat docks come out to right at the end of them is in about 12 to 15 foot of water and 
has some mundos. There's, there's some big fish there's in there. Fish. <laughs> um, whereas, whereas you know, when I was hitting Lake Austin pretty heavy, uh, without the vegetation, those fish were you know more related to 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 trees, to docks, to you know rock piles if you could find them. Um, and up here, uh, you know, day by day, it seems like it changes. You know, I was I was fishing that that recent tournament. And I uh, missed those couple off that off that dot, and I went back there two days later, and the fish were gone. Yeah, that, that pattern was was blew up, wasn't wasn't there anymore. So, I know when I approach a lake, you know I'll 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 try some different things just to just to try to get a pattern going. You know, I'll, I'll try I'll try a point, I'll try a sunken island, I'll try a drop off. You know, and I'll usually start with a big lie. You know, see, see if I get any follows, and see, you know, watch, pay attention to the reaction I'm getting from those follows. If, you know, if they're coming out of aggressive, if it's more, if they're more just curious, you know, then I'll, I'll build off that based on what I'm seeing. So, up here, fishing, fishing weed beds, you know, fishing close to something that the bass can ambush the swim bait. Uh, up here. I'm fishing more more drop offs. That's where I'm finding my bigger bites, my bigger fish. You know, anything with deep water nearby is where I'm having my most success. And a lake, I mean. Yeah. Um, there's something to be said about uh what Ethan touched on as far as like these fish will travel. You can fish in 15, 17 foot of water and your glide will be two, three feet, four feet down there. And I mean, you see these fish, like you see these black shadows start to rise up from the abyss and you're like, holy shit, like this fish is coming up. Um, obviously they won't eat all the time, but they do make a valiant effort to chase something down relative to if they're going to eat it or not. That's not always for certain, but they, uh, you get a lot, a lot of fish. I mean, this is probably true everywhere, but here it seems like you have a lot of fish that'll wolf pack it and follow your bait. I mean there there's times like where you'll take a first first couple casts throughout the day and you'll have five or six fish following it in one cast all different sizes or they're all schooled up one size and um and it always seems like they're never going to eat and then you kind of uh you kind of figure it out or you you pick you pick one or two off and you'll have one fish like hot on it and one fish following it and um i've noticed that if if you have solos or doubles there's a better chance they're going to eat relative to if there's seven or eight fish coming up they're kind of more um just looking at it like curious but if you have one or two in the cast it's kind of more of a game over situation like you're ready you're ready for that bite because it's going to happen more times than not relative to if there's only or if there is a shit ton of fish following your stuff yeah with that like up here you know we have some lakes that are are gin clear and you know you can you can be fishing your swim bait um some of the the heavier smallmouth populations in these inland lakes up north i mean you'll watch them come out of 25 you know 20 25 foot of water just to come investigate or or smash it just completely smash it and it's it's awesome to see because you, you can see them coming like a freight train up from the bottom um whereas in texas i mean a lot of those fish i mean sometimes that you'd have to you know, put your bait right on their nose for them to eat, and they don't. They really didn't want to put a whole lot of effort into it. Whereas these fish, you know, will will chase it down a distance. I mean, I mean that that's all dependent too. I mean, there are times in Texas I have wolf packs of bass, you know, come after my bait, follow it, 
but a lot of the time, you know, it's it's putting something within their vicinity that they don't have to put and, you know, getting them, getting a bite, getting them to eat it. Yeah, I've noticed a lot with the deeper fish that do follow it up. Um, I kind of touched on this. This was like a long time ago. It was one of the episodes I recorded by myself. But if it's a sunny, bright day and like the super clear water we have and you fish over 20, 25 foot, um, if they see that shadow, like they get curious, it's kind of kind of like a person. If you're standing out in a field and you see a bird fly over and you see the shadow, you're like, what the fuck? And like you look up like um, I kind of I kind of circle that back to like the same thing, like humans are just as much as a creature as a bass like everybody's curious and uh so when those fish see like a shadow rip over them or rip next to them they're kind of like what the hell and they kind of like they kind of do that thing like where their their peck fins kind of lift them up a little bit and then they see something like ripping across the top up there they're like oh shit and and they go to investigate it and um i think that's kind of one advantage you have when you fish super clear water uh unlike uh, i have no confidence in dirty water and um the fact like just the scenario of having to fish a glide bait in dirty water um doesn't doesn't sit easy with me because i know that you have to present that bait like right in front of those fish a couple like a foot or two in front of them so they can see the bait um compared to here where not necessarily make blind casts but you can cast more or less wherever you want to and those fish will come up and investigate themselves you don't have to present it um right in, right in their faces for them to be intrigued by the bait I mean, I can touch on, I mean, I fished, you know, quite a bit of murky water. I was down there in Texas and a lot of those, a lot of those fish, I mean, you're getting your, your bait, you know, as close as you can to some kind of cover that the, the bass will relate to. I mean, you know, it's, it's not really going to be a visual with depending on how the water clarity is. Um, but, you know, that's, that's when other baits start to shine, you know, your bait baits, your, you know, stuff that makes noise crank downs with crank uh downs. with uh gre- ungreased hinges <laughs> yeah and the, and the dirty water you know it's they'll relate more to i mean they're still gonna eat I mean, still, still still gonna eat but it's gonna relate more to you know you know commotion on top or or noise you know they'll they'll feel it out without you know having to really see the bait yeah um kind of kind of getting to comparing the two again uh as far as like fishing pressure goes michigan you could probably count on two hands how many guys actually swim bait fish up here um whereas in like texas especially austin you can count on quite a few hands probably how many guys like swim bait fish down there have you been able to tell a difference up here compared to down there as far as like going out for a day spending the same amount of time and kind of semi-close conditions like couldn't you tell that the fish up here um are more memorized memorized are they more interested in a glide bait mesmerized there we go (laughs) are they more mesmerized with a glide bait um compared to down there or is all the interest kind of the same i kind of you always hear about guys like california and in those states like like oh my fish my fish see this bait all the time so they don't really react and kind of living here we have that luxury of of that not being a thing um i was talking to a gentleman who'll be coming on the show hopefully sometime soon and he was talking about in like mass he's like like you you still catch them on a wake bait at night but like those fish kind of they kind of know what the wake bait is now so you kind of have to branch off from that and um i guess i'm just curious what you've experienced about that compared to here i mean yeah up here i mean i you know 
know very few of the most women. I count on one hand the amount of guys in Michigan I know who's the most women. Yeah, I was about to say I could probably. You got Jake Laxton in Detroit, Buddy, uh, Denman from he's he's by Kalamazoo down by there by the border. Uh, Kent Tressler, he's uh, I think north a little bit. Um, fuck, honestly, that's like (laughs) you and I, and then I have some buddies, but they don't really do it like a crazy amount. But that's like everybody I can think of. Um, Okay, one hand. You can really count them on one hand, honestly. But sorry to interrupt you. You can go ahead. <laughs> no, that is, uh, like Texas, I mean, you know, everybody, you know, knows what a swim bait is. You're, you know, not only fishing against the fish, you're fishing against, you know, a, a pretty sizable group of other guys that are probably throwing the exact same bait that you are, or, you know, fishing the same spots you are. And I think uh, uh, Marshall, from his podcast, he touched, he touched on that. I mean, it's, I mean, you can you can see where I'm fishing. You can go out there and try it. Doesn't mean you're gonna catch them. <laughs> yeah, he talked about uh, that big landmark bridge. Yep. And he talked about Congress Bridge. Yeah, yeah. He talked about you see that in everybody's pictures. And Man, uh, I want to go back there and fish a bobcat or a crawler on the bridge. Yeah. Fuck. There's a uh, uh, for for those of you who don't live in Austin, Congress Bridge has a uh, very large population of Mexican bats that reside. You know, in the cracks underneath it, and towards the evening time, they'll all, you know, take off from under the bridge and fly out. You know, big crowd spectacle. Uh, and you know, chasing bugs. A lot of those bats get pretty close to the water. <laughs> in the water. <laughs> Wish I would have known. You know, had more experience with a crawler at that time when I was in Texas. That would that would be a fun bait to fish under that bridge. Yeah. Um. As far as the pressure down there, though, I mean, like I said, you are fishing against a lot of other guys that are so really it's, you know, giving yourself the, you know, the, the best chance to catch a fish. I mean, best opportune time, you know, when that when they open those dams up and that current starts going, you know, you know, putting yourself in a in a spot where, you know, a bass will be to ambush a bait. Uh, you know, watching, you know. I had a I had a notebook too. Every time I would go out, you know, I I note down, you know, you know, I I had fish follow, you know, I had you know I scuffed, uh, you know, I I hammered them today, and just you know think back on, uh, think back on patterns and you know you know put two and two together, and and try to expand on, you know things that things I'd figure out. You know, and wait for, you know, certain times, uh, and to make the most out of your make the most out of your trip. Like uh, I don't know if I touched on it earlier, but prefrontal conditions down there. I mean, it doesn't matter where you are; it's it's lights out. If you get yourself in front of fish, I mean, you'll with swim bait, you'll get them, and it's something something in that you know oncoming front just just triggers them to turn on and. I mean, you can, it's, you can knock them out. Yeah. Um, like going off of the, the notebook thing, did you ever keep track of the, the moon phases and that sort of thing, or just kind of what was going on while you were on the water? I mean, I did somewhat, you know, uh, a lot of full moon nights, uh, that next day would usually be pretty tough. 
Uh, those fish should be active and feeding all night. And then the next day, you know, they're all full. They're not really, not really wanting to chase anything down. Um, uh, I mean, I, I really pay attention to the moon phase more on the spawn. Uh, you know, that first, that first full moon, uh, when those fish start moving up on beds, I, I start paying attention. Um, but really, you know, it's, it's whenever I could get out and fish. Yeah. So since, uh, moving here from Texas, uh, has there really been anything you got to take away from Texas that you've gotten to apply here and maybe you feel like has kind of putting you the edge over the fish and maybe caught a few more fish, put a few more fish in the boat that you, uh, kind of learned down there and got to apply up here? You know, with, uh, say with Texas, I definitely, you know, building my confidence in, in swim baits has, has helped me up here, uh, you know, prior to moving down there, never throwing baits. Uh, and then, you know, when I was down there thinking, I don't think I'd ever throw a swim bait in Michigan. That, you know, my time in Austin, I didn't even know any guys. Up there. I didn't think it was a thing. Um, but definitely. You know, growing my confidence and and learning baits and spending time with them, and I've been able to transfer that up up here, and then you know, kind of crossing over you know prior knowledge of of fish up here and and you know what I've fished conventionally and how I can how I apply that to the swim baits you know places where you know I I throw a a jig or you know crankbait or spinnerbait. You know, let me let me try it instead of that. Let me try that with swimmer, you know, a, a battle shad, you know, and it a lot of the times it it paid off. So, uh, you know, in Texas, I really didn't get to a lot of do a lot of smallmouth fish, which is what I missed about home. Um, so that was that was one thing from Texas, I didn't really, you know was able to bring up here was, you know, targeting smallmouths with swim baits. So, you know, when I moved back up here, you know, kind of starting from square one again, you know, you know, chasing a different species of swim baits, but I've, I've had success and, you know, every, every trip I learned. Yeah. On, on the other side of the spectrum, um, has there anything you've gotten to learn here that you wish you, you would have known to be able to replicate down in Texas or, has it just kind of been uh, Texas knowledge bringing it up here? Yeah, uh, yes and no. I mean, I when I first moved down there, I mean, I had all the knowledge I learned up here, and I was kind of using the the same techniques. And uh, for a little bit, it wasn't wasn't panning out for me until I you know started branching out and you know making uh, making some friends and making some new resources to you know help me expand my knowledge. Um, I'd say, you know, in Texas, I mean, a lot of baits, I mean, there's times you can fish aggressive, um, but up here, you know, with our clear water, I mean, I, I find myself fishing baits a lot faster, you know, a lot more erratic and aggressive, you know, not really giving them a chance to, to look at it, to get a good look at it, but, you know, come up and, and hit it as a reaction. I mean, that's some of my, my best swim bait fishing with the glide is getting the action that fish to react to the bait uh i mean a, a smallmouth especially you know they sometimes they don't want to eat something they just want to 
they want to kill it. They want to come up and, you know, <laughs> attack it. And, you know, I've, I've had some pretty cool experiences so far with that that I've been able to see. Yeah. Um, it almost seems like here, uh, like we touched on these fish, they see a nine inch bait and you have a one pounder that'll go for a nine inch bait. Um, whether that's because they just don't care or it's because they're just trying to stock up on food and they see the opportunity to eat. Did you ever see that very often in Texas or was it kind of more, um, more conservative of you have a, you have a decent sized fish following your glide bait most of the time? Oh, I mean, there's definitely, you know, certain times of year where they have the feed bag on and they're, I mean, uh, during the shad spawn, I mean, they're gorging themselves. I mean, you're, you hook a fish and it's and it's coughing up shad as you're reeling it in. It's you know, or as you know, like up here, you know, big smallmouth out of the lake shore. As you're bringing them up, I mean, they're goby. Goby, yeah. Similar to the big largemouth down there with the shad. Um, I forgot what you asked. <laughs> no, you're good. Um, fuck, I forgot what I asked. Uh, oh, um, did you kept? Did you see? uh small fish following glide baits like you do up here like you you see one one and a half pounders following in nine ten inch glide baits and like uh, sometimes like they will take a bite out of it and a lot of times unfortunately they do get a hook so you do have to bring them in the boat or on shore and fuck around with that um i didn't know if that was common down in texas or if those fish kind of their eyes aren't as big as their stomachs like relative to here oh their eyes are definitely i mean i've caught you know bass in down in texas that were smaller than my swim bait just you know come up and attack it but uh i don't know if it's you know my own personal experience or others uh, you know others can speak on it but uh you know most of my fish that would follow the big swims were were decent sized fish i mean you know three pound three pounds and up i mean occasionally you might might see a smaller one but uh the swim baits really bring out the the bigger fish more you know whether they're hungry or whether they're curious um so i'd say you know when i went to swims you know i started seeing bigger fish more quality fish whereas you know throwing conventional you know you catch you know 20 dinks and maybe a good you know three four pounder yeah you know the complete opposite with swim baits i mean those three four pounders are immediately what's interested in your bait and not really seeing the whole lot of the small ones yeah for sure um one thing i kind of want to another topic i want to touch on uh to kind of go with this last question i'm going to ask you um kayak swim bait fishing so you did that a lot down in texas like you said um you did it on all the rivers and all the lakes down there um did you kind of how did you get into that did you have buddies who did it so they kind of pointed you in the right direction or like what kind of gear you needed because obviously um for anybody who doesn't know, you can't really boat flip like a six pound fish into a kayak and not expect it to hook your leg or something. So, so did you kind of, did you kind of have mentor kind of say like, Oh, like this is the landing net you need. Um, you need, you need a catch board. So when you're doing these tournaments or, uh, you don't want to put them on a flat board cause they'll just fucking flop off. You see that all the time. Um, so I guess who kind of helped you get into that or was it just kind of trial by fire and you kind of figured out what you needed to, uh, to be, the most productive you could on the water oh i mean as far as i i, mean, I absolutely hate fishing from the bank I mean, that's it's not my cup of tea i mean ever you know ever since i started fishing i've never liked fishing from the bank. you know the 
the first boat I ever got was a 12-foot John boat with a trolling motor. I got off the bank of and uh, when I moved to Texas, you know, I could only, uh, you know, pack in my vehicle a little bit of what I owned. I couldn't bring everything. And, you know, it was, I'd, I'd fished a couple times off the bank. I'm like, <laughs> I know it to be. Um, and I, I bought a kayak, you know, as, as soon as I could. Um, and, you know, first kayak I bought was just a, a cheapo from, from Dick Sporting Goods, about flipped it a few times. <laughs> you know, I was like, I don't know about throwing big baits out of this. And, and you know, the, the longer I was there, the, the more friends I would make. And, uh, you know, seeing the stuff that, that they would fish and seeing their gear, you know, I was like able to, you know, expand on what I needed. You know, I went from, uh, you know, a sit inside kayak to a sit on top and I'll never, I'll never get out of a sit on top kayak. And then, you know, I two, two or three kayaks later, I bought a uh, sit on top that you can stand and fish in and uh, never went back from there. I mean, that's definitely a, a world of difference, you know, throwing, throwing big baits um, is able to, to stand and fish. That's another thing I'm, I'm not, a am not keen on is sitting and fishing. I mean, I'll I'll do it, but I mean, if I have the opportunity, and I'm I'm gonna be. Um. So, uh, you know, the, the kayaks got bigger. They definitely got more expensive. <laughs> uh, along with the the swim bait addiction, um. I uh. The kayak that I ended up with that I still have now is a Jackson Kusa HD, and. I needed, I needed something that I could fish in the rivers and something I could, you know, fish over in the lakes as well. You know, I, you know, I'm more of a river rat than than fishing on lakes. So I needed a kayak that could that could do me both, and that one has uh, done wonders for me. I had a, I think a Wilderness Systems before that, and one of my buddies had a Kusa, and you know, before I bought the Wilderness, I was torn between the two, and then. You know, just went with the was I say the the wrong choice. Right? <laughs> and any any little bit of wind, I was spinning, and I'm like, this is ridiculous. You know, I I almost immediately sold that one and bought a bought a Jackson, and you know, I've been in one ever since. You know, and I got a I got a lot of legroom in it. I know I got a. It's fortunate enough uh, the center console that sits between the legs is removable. And it's enough space, you know, for me to be able to, you know, flip fish into the kayak without hooking myself. Like I've done quite a few times throwing and swim. So I don't know if I have the best advice on that. <laughs> um, do you contribute the kayak to kind of keeping you stuck with swim baits? I guess, like, like you said, it, it got you off the bank and um, it sounds like it got you into places that weren't necessarily bank accessible. So do you think like buying that kayak really turn turn the point on like, okay, like I'm going to fish these swim baits and that's all I'm going to do since, since you weren't limited to bank fishing. And, um, I guess having a kayak is a very plus plus sided thing. If you get your bait snagged up, cause you can fucking paddle over there on shore. You're oh, yeah. on shore. You're <laughs> limited on what you you can throw your rod at it. If it's like stuck up in a tree, uh, <laughs> You could strip down and swim, but some of these some of these places uh, that we fish around here, I don't know if I'd strip down and swim. But do you think the kayak was uh, 
kind of pivotal thing as far as where you are today for swim baits? I definitely believe it was a pivotal thing. I think if, you know, I would have never gotten a kayak, I, I don't think my swim bait fishing would have ever, you know, made it to the point that it's at today. Um, uh, you know, I may have some, some success off the bank, but, you know, with my <laughs> hatred of fishing on the bank, I don't know if it would have, you know, expanded any from what it, what it was at at the time. But, uh, you know, it doesn't have to be the, the most expensive of kayaks, but if, you know, if you can afford it and, and get off the bank, I mean, it really, you know, widens your opportunity to fish that you might not have access to from the bank. You know, you're able to, you're able to fish water that, you know, the only bank access is the boat launch, you know, you're able to fish, you know, spots that you can't reach from a cast from the bank, you know, you're able to, you know, present uh, a big one. You're able to present your swim baits in a different uh, position to the fish. You know, a lot of those fish, like I touched on earlier, that relate to the current. Uh, you're kind of limited in your bank casting. You can only, you know, bring your bait to them one way. Uh, in my experience, you know, in heavy current, the fish will face into the current and let the bait come to them. You know, if you're fishing parallel, you know, opposite to them in the bank, I mean, there's just a brief window they might see your bait before the current's blowing it down river. Whereas, you know, you, you're out, you know, in the current. Uh, they're, you know, you throw it out ahead of them and they're able to definitely, you know, in my swim bait experience, uh, angles have definitely, you know, been game changers. You know, you have, you might make a cast and, and reel it in without a fish and, and change your angle and you, you get hit or you get a follow. That's definitely been a pivotal thing I've noticed. Yeah. Um, fishing angles and rivers. Um, just a quick story. We went and, uh, Ethan, I was like, you want to come fish one day? And he said, sure. So, uh, we go down to this spot that I've been catching river. And then I told him I hadn't been down there in like two weeks. I'm like, dude, like it, it's, it's kind of a jungle back here. He's like, oh yeah, it's whatever, man. It's whatever. And we get down there and jungle was an understatement. It was like fucking the Amazon rainforest. It's growing up. <laughs> um, but that, that is a spot. Um, Ethan didn't really get to experience it because the water was super low, but that's a spot where you'll fish a shade line one way and you take uh, a 10 yard, 20 yard uh, walk down the bank or up river and you present it the same way, but at a different angle. And it, it comes over a rock or it comes over a log that um, it didn't cover that way. The previous cast and those fish will come up and eat it. Like they had never even seen the bait before, even though three minutes before that bait just came across their face. Um, so yeah, angles is a, is a huge thing, especially especially in rivers i think because if they don't have to work as hard one angle relative to another they're gonna they're gonna take that way out every time um kind of kind of wrapping it up a little bit that's why i wanted to touch on the kayak thing is ethan got to do uh do something that from my knowledge not a too huge amount not gee what the fuck was i trying to say there not a huge amount of guys get to do um ethan you got to float down the devil's river and not this isn't really even necessarily keeping it to swim baits just kind of talking like the fishing in general down there because it is something that only an x amount of people have ever gotten to do or get to do every year so what was your what was your experience with that and did you get to learn anything on that river whether it be with swim baits and then um was the fishing really as good as like all the videos make it out to be that was probably the most one of the most incredible trips i have you know in my life that i have been on 
I uh, Devil's River is is a crazy place. You know, it's out in the uh, desert part of Texas, but it's a you know lush spring-fed you know river with lots of scenery, lots of bluff walls, lots of weeds, lots of hydrilla, you know, crazy rapids, and uh, it's not just something you can drive out to and float down and get out because all the land that's that surrounds you know that area of the river is all private. So what you have to do is apply for a permit through Texas Parks and Wildlife to to you know be able to to float that river, and then there's there's still yet another step on top of that is is a uh, it also uh, they also require you to have a guide service to pick you up at the at the camp the night before to, that drops you off at the river the next morning and then they're the same guide service that picks you up you know depending on your trip 40 miles down river um so it's uh most definitely experience you know it, you know you have a if you have a group of guys to go you know, everyone can split the cost um there's a pretty famous bed and breakfast you know most people stay out before they embark on that trip and and we all did and I mean, from from the get go, I mean, I caught a a three pound largemouth in my first ten minutes on the river. And uh, what's special about that river too is it holds pretty big smallmouth. Uh, that uh, river is clean; it's crystal clear. Uh, uh, it's a death trap. <laughs> uh, a portage fest. <laughs> I get into that story in a minute. But it's, I mean, it's, you know, if, if anyone has the chance to do it, I'd say go, if I, if I ever go back to Texas, I will definitely do that trip again. Um, as, as far as fishing, I mean, there wasn't a, there wasn't a day that I didn't catch a fish or anyone in the group didn't catch a fish. Um, always a mixed bag, large mouth, small mouth. Uh, a lot of the, a lot of the fish in that river are, are good size and you can, you know, you can catch them a variety of ways. You know, I threw a, I threw a bull shad for a lot of the trip, but I also caught, you know, in, in deep spots, you know, I'd catch them on deep on jigs, top water on a frog early in the morning. Uh, uh, some dangerous spots on that river, I'll say too. <laughs> I mean, there's, uh, if you've ever, you know, got on YouTube and watched some videos, there's some pretty gnarly rapids Rancid. on that river. and uh, it was crazy. Uh, you know, I'd, I'd done the research, you know, everyone, you got to prepare for that trip. It's not just one of those on a whim. Okay. Hey, we're going to go to the devil's we, river. We talk about it Saturday morning. Sunday. It's like one of those pair months in advance. It just might, you know, videos, I stuff on YouTube. Uh, unfortunately we're all when the water was low. So, you know, myself and the, the other guys in my party who would kind of, you know, gauging on what to expect based off the stuff we saw on YouTube. And when we got there, uh, they had had some good rain and the water was much higher than it usually is, which, you know, just fires those rapids up, you know, even, yeah. even worse than what they usually are. And uh, every one of us, you know, dumped our kayaks at some point on the, along that 40 mile stretch in some rapids losing, you know, one of the guys lost, uh, you know, brand new GoPro 7. Uh, some of the other guys snapped their fishing rods. 
uh, you know, you're out there in the desert, so you'll go from, you know, 40, 30, 40 degrees at night to 100 degrees, you know, midday the next day. And, you know, one of the waterfalls we portaged over, uh, we had a storm roll in. And, you know, the only way to do it is to, when the water's high, is you can't ride it, is to portage your kayaks, you know, down this, you know, 15 foot little cliff. So I jumped down in there and I was swimming the kayaks down to where the guys could get into them. And storm had come, so we're kind of just chilling on shore. And it was pretty, it was pretty chilly. And, you know, I started, got to a point where I started, you know, shaking so bad I couldn't even hold my kayak. And I was like, we, we gotta, we gotta pull over and make a fire or something. Cause this is, this is not good. I mean, this is, and, and keep in mind, this was only the, the second day into the trip. And this is five days. Um, and it just got worse on the third day. Uh, we hit a, we hit a place called uh, three tears falls. And, uh, the way that the way the river cut and the the growth of the of, of the weeds and the underbrush, you couldn't see what was ahead of you. It just it the river stopped and made a sharp, you know, ninety degree angle and then another angle, but you could hear, you know, the you could hear the water flowing. <laughs> and that was the one that I had paid attention to, you know, on my YouTube videos. A lot of people dumped there. There's three different sets of falls. Um, when the water's low, they're rideable. <laughs> when the water's high different story so i was like you know i'll go first you know <laughs> Fuck it, let's do it so you know i i come around i come around to ben already you know on some rapids and come around the corner and it's i mean it's three consecutive five foot drops even in mind the kayak is loaded down with gear everything you need you know several days on the river a little top heavy yeah i you know, make it over the first one, shake it off. You know, I, I come over the second one a little shaky, and I see there's not not a lot of room between the second and the third fall. And I came over the third fall before I had my bearings and roll. And I uh, I had got my foot caught in my net at the front of my kayak, so I was getting drugged down the river <laughs> under my kayak underwater. You know, on the sharp rocks that are below those falls. You know, finally got to shallow water where I could stand up, and I thought I broke my hand. I mean, it was, it was, it was my left hand. It was, you know, every finger had a, had a gash in it. I couldn't close it, and I'm, this was the third day into the trip. I still had, you know, 20 miles to go, and I was kind of at the bottom. You know, I was, I was holding my hand in my side, kind of coaching the guy. The rest of the came down. <laughs> Telling him like, what to do and not yeah, to do. Like, Don't go to that side. Don't put your foot in the net. It's a trap. You know, that was, you know, I was standing there and I, I couldn't close my hand. I'm like, how am I supposed to paddle? This is, you know, and ride more rapids and, and, and of yet what's to come. Yeah. And ended up just, uh, you know, cleaning up my hand with some little uh, medical kit and super gluing all those cut shut. Uh, I duct taped my hand and then I put a fishing glove on that hand and duct taped it again. And then... You know, almost pretty much taped it to the paddle. And as the day went on, I was able to start, you know, closing my hand and able to move it. So I figured it wasn't broken. But, uh, man, what an incredible trip. Yeah. Uh, oh, go ahead. Uh, like I said, the fishing, I mean, there's some incredible.
I have a bunch of pictures. Hell, I haven't even put them on Instagram or anything. Um, several three and four pound smallmouth that you wouldn't think would, would be in Texas that are, you know, abundant in that river. And, you know, there was, there was one spot that we, we had fished and I saw, you know, a couple large mouth pushing probably 24 inches. I mean, they were, they were giants. They wouldn't bite anything, but, you know, just to see a, a bass that big, you know, out in the, out in the river in the middle of the desert is, is pretty stunning. Yeah. And so, uh, so you guys, you, you get done with that and, uh, you kind of look back on it and you're probably like, holy shit, like, first off, I lived, so that's pretty cool. <laughs> Second off, um, I didn't, I probably lost minimal gear, that's whatever. Um, was it was it worth it for the fishing? I mean, I'm sure it probably was, plus um, Ethan showed me some of the pictures and videos and stuff out there, and just from the views, it, it honestly would be worth it just to be able to, to, I mean, that's like the purest form of fish you'll ever see is like, fish like quote unquote in their natural habitat there's not bass boats running them over every day in a weekend tournament or that sort of thing like these fish are as close to untouched as what you can get in the south let alone in texas i'm sure yeah i mean there's it's it's an incredible fishery out there you know those uh you know they don't they don't see a whole lot of they see some pressure because i mean every week there's there's a new group that goes down whether every one of those groups fishes or not but still these fish really don't you know they don't get a lot of pressure they don't see a lot of the you know the, the everyday you know bass boats and kayaks and you know you you get to experience something that you'll never get to experience you know anywhere else and that's what's that's what's incredible about that trip yeah um i guess just to kind of close up the story how long did you guys prep or what was the timeline between getting accepted, paying the fees and everything, and then uh, prepping for it, and then the time you actually launched from the uh, from the bed and breakfast property line? Those those trips get booked pretty far out in advance. So uh, ours, I think, was about a year. We had we had got uh, confirmation uh, that we that we booked. Uh, we got our permit, and then it was about a year of of preparing um up until that point you know uh that's the other you know kind of cool thing about texas some of the rivers out there have some rapids and none of those come close to what the <laughs> devil's hole uh so you know in that year just just prepping gear and and stuff and, and definitely you know spending time in your kayak and and balancing it out with weight and where you're gonna where you're gonna put stuff how you're gonna hold stuff you know get some experience on what riding what rapid you can just to prepare yourself. And uh so we had about a year of preparing for that trip before it came. Um and our group, none of us had ever done that trip before. You know, some of the other groups guys have done it, you know, two or three times and they can, you know, kinda you know do it blindfolded almost. Do it yeah, I would say do a blindfold. <laughs> I mean there's, there's you know Every every trip, something new is going to happen. Yeah, um, but they definitely can, you know, tell tell the guys what what to bring. You know, we had we had brought way too much food. I mean, I had I had protein shakes and and tuna snacks and, and just all this stuff that weighed my cooler. <laughs> you know, a thirty pack of beer. <laughs> uh, but you know, doing it again, I mean, I could have cut the stuff I brought down in half easily. 
Yeah. Did you um kind of wrapping it up? Did you sacrifice any um like extra stuff to to be able to bring? I guess like more rods or more baits or anything. Or did you kind were you kind of set with what you brought? And then how did you kind of prepare on what tackle or what rods you wanted to bring? Like, did you kind of bring like an all round like maybe like a seven thirty five jig rod so you could fish spinner baits, jigs, uh, that sort of thing, or did you just kind of like, hey, like these are the things I want to fish while I'm here, so I'm just going to bring these technique specific rods. Uh, that one, I mean that that came into the preparation too, as far as you know, because everything you you bring in, you got to you got to take out, you know, even your shit, you got to you know bring it out. Literally, no, literally your shit. <laughs> literally your shit. Yeah. Storage compartment in the you know back of my kayak. I kept that in, but uh, you know it's just you know the kayak. You don't want to be too heavy because when that river is low, you do a lot of dragging too. Even even when the river was, and if you got your kayak just you know loaded for bear, I mean you're gonna you're gonna wear yourself out before you make your the end of your first and second day. Uh, and even you know riding rapids, I mean you don't want your you know completely overweighted. I mean it's gonna do you more harm than than benefit. Uh, as far as as far as gear, you know, it's you know you you got to bring food for yourself, you know, for the group. Uh, your your hammock, your tent, your sleeping bag, your pad, you know, change of clothes, first aid kit. I mean, there's there's a lot that goes into it, and then what tackle? And uh, I had had some people I knew that had had done the trip prior. So just picking their brain, I kind of knew, you know, what to expect to bring and just watching, watching their YouTube videos of fishing, kind of had a good idea what to bring. So I, I brought three rods. I had, uh, uh, I don't want to bring my nice swim bait stuff because I, <laughs> I mean, you might nice dump it and lose it. Dump it. Yeah. Dump it, lose it or, or break your rod or, or, you know, you know, you never know. So I brought, uh, like a, a flipping stick that I could throw a swim bait on. And two other two other rods that I could either you know, uh, topwater frog or a, the other one I could throw like a spinnerbait or a jig on. You know I could I could adapt to to whatever the fish were keying in on. And you know I did break one of those rods on that trip. That's uh, so that's I mean I would say bring more than one rod because inevitably or worse. Yeah. Um, I mean, is, is there anything else you want to touch on before we kind of close it up a little bit? Any, any differences you want to talk about or, uh, or even, even shit that's the same between the 2000 miles you moved? I don't know if 2000 <laughs> miles is accurate or not, but yeah, yeah. I mean, definitely, you know, the, the behavior in the fish, uh, you know, in, in Texas didn't really have to worry about the toothy critters we have up here, the, the bigger predator fish, like the pike and muskie. So, uh, you know, down there, I was confident throwing on, you know, mono and fluorocarbon, and you know, you might have a gar come up and, and and swipe at it, but the way their their snouts are built, I mean, it's not with a big swim bait, it's not too much to worry about unless they grab your line. Um, but coming up here, you know, Michigan and the Midwest, we have uh, northern pike and and musky, and they are the top predator fish in this part of the country, and they will, uh, will eat. You know, uh, a pike and a muskie will eat a fish, you know, two thirds their size. Yeah. 
So, you know, throwing, throwing swim baits is inevitable. You're going to have a run in with, with either species. Uh, and as far as the behavior of the bass, you know, keeping that in mind with, with the, those predator species we have up here, you know, as far as the fish, you know, straying from cover, uh, the farther they go away from their cover, the more it, you know, exposes them to predation by those bigger fish. Yeah. Um, a lot of the fish we catch up here have teeth marks. Yeah. Looks like they got ran over by a boat or something. Yeah, from a bigger fish. I mean, you you'll even catch pike that have have chunks missing out of their ass end, and it's like, holy shit! Like you'll catch like a twenty inch pike, and half of its ass will be missing. You're like, damn! Like there's a big fucking fish in here that's eating yeah. up on these on this dude. Yeah, sometimes you'll see teeth marks that'll you know be the whole circumference of the fish, and it'll be yeah. a decent sized fish. And you're like, oh my god, what attack this? <laughs> um, you know that that played into my you know coming up here and throwing swim baits again. Like it was always in the back of my mind. Um, uh, I didn't really know a whole lot of guys that threw swim baits up here, so I didn't have you know people to reach out to be like, hey, you know, when you're throwing swim baits and and waters where there's pike and musky, you know, what do what do you do? And, uh, you know, comments from, you know, I'd post on universe asking a question and guys would be like, oh, you should be fine. You should be fine. Or throw a straight braid or, or throw a leader. And, uh, I won't throw a leader unless I absolutely, absolutely have to. And my first year up here, it was April and my birthday and oh fuck, I forgot about this. Throwing, throwing, throwing swims and hooked into a big pike and broke my, uh, broke me off my $200 custom painted BGC just popped me right off. And that was immediate, you know, slap in the balls, <laughs> like, you know, like you slap back to reality on where you are. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Like, damn, I knew I should have threw great. Um, that's definitely, that's definitely played into it. You know, I have, I have one set up where I, it's, it's straight braid and I, really haven't seen a, a difference whereas you know fish you know seeing the line and, and straying away from it um but yeah um all my fish this year have been caught on braid and they don't really give a shit even if it's in that clear water they don't they don't seem to mind i don't think they really um like we talked we touched on it they don't really have time to process what it is if they're chasing it they're going to eat it no matter what um you you rarely have a fish like shoot up on a bait and like get all the way to it and see your tag in line and they're like oh yeah no eat this like they eat it most of the time if not all the time no matter if it's braid or 17 pound fluoro or copoly or whatever they're 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 in it to eat it for sure oh yeah i mean they're if they're if they're committed they're gonna they're gonna eat and i've had them i've had them you know come after it like they're gonna smash it and stop by a second look at man come and you know that i don't necessarily attribute to the line that it might be more of the you know or possibly even the color um you know circumstances like that if i have a fish hot on its tail and it, it just you know it, it looks like it wants to eat but it won't go you know i'll i'll, I'll quit tying another bait i'll throw i mean if i have a similar bait and a different color you know sometimes that's all it is is a color change or you know sometimes a, a profile change you know if i have a fish hot on a glide and it, it doesn't eat you know followed up with a with a awake just erratic on the surface like like a dying fish and sometimes that's what it takes to get a fish to commit yeah is uh is there anything else you want to 
touch on. I mean, he has a list over by him, and I have a list over. By him. I haven't looked at his list, so I don't know what we covered or haven't. Covered. If there's anything specific or not. <clears throat> I feel like we did a pretty uh, pretty big spectrum here on covering all sorts of stuff as far as fish behavior and everything goes. Yeah, I I mean, I think I've, I've covered everything I have pretty much wrote, written down. Um, it looks like it, yeah. As I say, we've been talking for uh, an hour and 40 minutes. I don't know, I'm not good at math. <laughs> hour and 30, over an hour and 30. But um, I want to thank Ethan for coming on. It was uh, it's not like he had a very long journey from one doorway to the other, but he came on nonetheless. But uh, he was excited to. Um, I'll leave Ethan's Instagram and everything in the description of this. Um, if there's anything Ethan wants to say before we close it out. I just say uh, to any of the the newer guys out there, you know, you know, get on the get on the swim bait pages. There's a lot of a lot of guys on there that will, you know provide a lot of information a lot of help um when i got my uh starting to swim baits you know i joined uh swim bait universe back in 2017 and there's been a lot of guys on there way um uh, you know just you know bait exchanges don't be a piece of shit <laughs> you know and you can go you can go a long way you can you can learn a lot uh you can you know um, there's 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 one guy in particular that'll uh he'll even fly you out and have you fish with him and and teach you you know you know the right way to do things to, to so you're able to catch a fish I and mean, there's some there's some incredible people in the pages uh and just you know absorb as much as you can learn as much as you can you know apply it in your own fishing try not to be too stubborn i would say um when you first join these pages use it as an informational page more than a social page. I mean, obviously do whatever you want, but you can learn a lot of things before you uh before you start asking stuff. Like if you just go through and type in uh XYZ question and um there'll be hundreds of hundreds of uh of posts about your the beginning rod to start, what what pound line, um if I should use a snap <laughs> with this bait, uh how do you fish this bait or um how do you go about fishing this bait? Um, if you're curious in baits and you're not sure like what this bait does, go look at Jason Carroll's page, Swim Bait Reviews. He he takes if that was a thing, um, if that was around when I first started, I'd probably save so much money because I would have seen baits that I wanted and I'd have been like, oh, like that swims nothing like I'll catch fish on. Um so like the being a beginner, like you can save a shit ton of money if you go check out his page and kinda some of the other guys who do it too, you'll uh you'll save a lot of time and money on your end. Oh yeah, and uh, if you got a question about what kind of line to use, just please use the search bar. There's there's a lot of lines. Or or uh, best best rod under two hundred dollars. <laughs> that would go. That one's on there a lot. Dobbins under two hundred dollars. You can't you can't go wrong with a Dobbins eight hundred six. If you're brand new, don't go asking for a pizza or pats right off the bat. They're not. It's not a magic. <laughs> I forgot somebody somebody made a post yesterday, and it was like, dear Pat. Can I please get one of your baits? Thank you very much. And somebody's like, you do realize you're like not even on Facebook, right? <laughs> but uh, I mean, that, that's all. That's everything I have to contribute to this episode. 
Yep. Had a good time. Thanks for having me on. Uh, know you got some stickers coming out pretty soon. You're going to do a drop on. And for y'all listening, I will say the bait giveaway for this coming month. Be ready. You're not going to want to. It's a good bait. I've seen it in person. I've held it in person. <laughs> it, uh... <laughs> Lucky enough to live next to somebody got my stickers. But, you know, I'll help him out get those stickers because this giveaway bait is fire. Yeah, I'm excited for this month and uh, I'm excited for the next couple months. I got a lot of cool guys lined up and a lot of sweet sticker designs. This this month is definitely my favorite. Um, it's a good sticker design and it's a good size. It's pretty hefty size and I think uh, think a lot of guys will really enjoy it. But um, if you guys haven't already, make sure you follow the Instagram scaleintails underscore podcast on Instagram. Like I said, I'll I'll uh, I'll tag Ethan's Instagram in the description. Um, I'll tag the Slap Shop in the uh, in the description too because it'll be right around the time that these stickers drop. And uh, I want to thank thank you everybody for listening, and I'll talk to you guys next time. Bye, guys.